Do you have the guts, the guile, and the wits to build the baddest tower in all of Towerdom? Well, let's find out with Sim Tower this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. I'm your host, Joe, and I'm here once again to talk about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. So holy crap, guys, it's been a long time since I've done like a full-on original official UMB cast. Uh, You know, I guess uh, last one was indie. That was before the holidays. Then after that, we had the news show right after the New Year's, and then we had the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The Hangout. Yeah, and I just want to take, before I get into anything, I just want to say again, thanks to all the guys for hanging out with me, uh, talking about feelies and all that stuff on the last Hangout. So much fun. Um, you know, I say this all the time about these Hangouts. I have, you know, touch of social anxiety, that stuff. I, I, I find it very stressful to kind of have to run a conversation and make sure that things are flowing and if there's silences to manage all that stuff. And so before these hangouts happen, I get a little bit kind of like, oh, what if this one doesn't go well? And they always go amazing. So, and you know, that has frankly absolutely nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. It's all you guys that uh, that participate on the hangouts and, uh, you know, I've become friends with quite a few of you. And, uh, you know, if you really enjoy uh, the hangouts that we have there and the chats that we have and uh, you want to participate, uh, it's open to all $5 and higher Patreon backers to uh, to come on to the hangouts and, and chat with uh, with the crew and me and all that stuff. You get to suggest topics and, and everything. And uh, they're a lot of fun. So, you know, if you want to give $5 or more per show, then uh, you can come on there. You can most certainly give less and uh, you will retain my undying appreciation i appreciate everyone that contributes to the show but if you want to come on those hangouts five dollars or more but uh (laughs) patreon ad commercial out of the way um yeah things have been a little crazy i I really wish i could have gotten the show out earlier but um you know it was uh, the hangout happened and i was all on track to to getting everything ready to roll and then uh, unfortunately there was a a fairly tragic uh death in in the family and uh so that kind of threw off (laughs) the uh the weekend that i uh had intended to record this show before i left on vacation uh you know my dad and my brother flew in so i had you know them at the house and then we had visiting and funerals and and all that and you know it was a tough weekend it wasn't awesome and uh obviously and uh and all that and then everything kind of rolled into the week before i i went on my my ski trip and that week was was freaking busy and, you know, trying to get everything ready and trying to get work all wrapped up before I go away for a week and all that. But one really cool thing that happened, uh, you know, about two weeks ago was uh, that I met up with uh, with uh, my good friend, friend of the show, Alima slash Emily, who writes in all the time. And, um, you know, she's from France, but she was in uh, here in Toronto visiting her sister. And, uh, you know, she was down for two weeks and uh, we arranged because we're all on the uh, the Gamers with Jobs forum. Uh, she kind of was a trigger for a Gamers with Jobs Toronto meetup that uh, we had at uh, a bar whose name I, <laughs> escapes me right now uh, in the east end of Toronto. 
And uh, I think there was a good seven of us. And, uh, you know, we hung out, had a few drinks. Uh, some people drank beer. Some people drank coffee-based beverages. Uh, it was a cool cool little kind of bar slash coffee shop slash, you know, there was a rousing game of magic going on in the background. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really cool time. It was really great to meet uh, Alima and hang out with her and, and find out more stuff about her. And, you know, I really do love now, now that it's happened a few times, and, again, I say this when it does happen, um, I really love meeting you guys face to face and uh, the podcast is the big impetus for that because again with the anxiety stuff uh, <laughs> the uh, if this was like you know four or five years ago I don't think I would have said no but I probably would have ended up like crapping out at the last minute for some stupid reason because I would have been terrified to you know meet people you know that I had didn't know in kind of a weird situation and whatever and it, so far every time it's happened it's turned out great so you know, as I travel around or as people come to Toronto who listen to the show, let me know. We can certainly, you know, meet up for a drink. Uh, if you listen to Square Waves, I'm sure I could drag out Brian and Bianca to uh, to hang out as well. It could be kind of a fun little meetup. And, uh, you know, I may be traveling down to, uh, to Denver for work and I may even be traveling over to the UK in the uh, foreseeable future, perhaps. Uh, so yeah, we'll see uh, when, when travels arise, I'll let you guys know and uh, we can have some little beatups cause, uh, they're a lot of fun. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of me blathering on about why I didn't put out a show. I'm doing a show. So, um, well, one more thing. Ski trip was incredibly awesome. Uh, it's no 30 centimeters. That's a foot for you Americans. Uh, one of the days, so I was blowing through powder and all that, rented some big skis and, uh, had a great time, but, uh, you guys don't need to hear about that. So let's get on to it. Uh, we've got some emails both from uh, talking about uh, this week's game and also about uh, the Hangout. So let's start. First email is from Jenny. And Jenny writes, Hello, Joe and fellow blockers. Uh, Not a whole lot to say about Sim Tower. I was more of a Sim Ant girl back in the day, but I wanted to send a quick email about the last Hangout about feelies. A few years ago, I got a copy of a game called Last Half of Darkness, Tomb of Zogir to review for Adventure Classic Gaming. I was surprised to open the box and uh, out fell a strange paper map. I can't find the box anymore, but I'm pretty sure there were a few fake spiders in there as well. The disc itself had a bunch of strange symbols on it. Fast forward to midway through the game, when I was instructed to use the map to solve a puzzle. More so, I had to actually use the DVD as a key to translate the map. Of course, this falls under the copy protection realm of feelies, but it immediately thrust me back into the days when I would dial random pirates for fun, even after I'd already used the dial-a-pirate wheel to get into my Monkey Island game, and it made me smile. In a world of DRM and activation keys, it's nice to see some that some companies are still finding fun and game-immersive ways to put copy protection into their games. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Jenny. And yeah, you know, that's, that's really cool, and I think it would be interesting... Uh, you know, like you said, in the days of, of DRM and activation keys and Steam DRM and all all that stuff to maybe have a game that maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be a physical feely because that would be a bit challenging with uh, current forms of digital distribution. But, uh, you know, maybe having some kind of pack in like PDF or some little external program that you have to f- plop out and launch and do stuff in to to do something in the game. I don't know. I think it'd be cool or a mobile kind of a little mobile thing where, uh, you know, you could use your phone or a tablet or device or something like that to, uh, you know, maybe not copy protection or maybe find out something, have a little breakout box to do, like say it's a space game where you do like calculations or like hyperspace trajectories or something on a mobile device. And that feeds back into the game. I think that'd be pretty, pretty cool. And I'm sure there probably is a game that does that because I'm not that creative, but, uh, yeah, 
Awesome. Thanks a lot. Next, we have an email from my buddy Brian from Square Waves FM. So take it away, Brian. Hello, Joe, and hello, Blockers. It's Brian from Toronto. I'm uh, in the middle of and thoroughly enjoying your latest Hangouts episode, and I wanted to chime in with a couple of my own uh, observations and memories about CD-ROM audio. Uh, You first discussed the seventh guest, maybe not first, but you discussed the seventh guest, which on disc two had one track, which was like 30 or 40 minutes or so of Redbook audio. Uh, my copy was just a jewel case version, one, uh, two CDs in one jewel case. And what was kind of interesting about the Redbook audio, which I do believe I found with the note in the manual, as somebody mentioned, I think Trolls mentioned, what was interesting was that the when you finish that game, the last song that plays is the Skeletons in My Closet song, pardon my bird, which um, is the last song on the Red Book Audio. Um, Because it's only one track, the game does something interesting, I guess. It uh, skips the rest of the audio on the disc and like just skips up to the certain time of that track where that song starts to play. So I thought that was always peculiar rather than uh, splitting that long track into multiple tracks and instead it skipped to the time of that track. Um, I also own the 7-Eleven album, which uh, is not a compilation of uh, soundtracks, of full soundtracks, but is in fact a bunch of like reimagined, remixed, reworked versions of the some of the songs from The Seventh Guest and from The Eleventh Hour. It also had some of the originals of the vocal and I believe the sound canvas recorded MIDI files, but it had some reinterpretations, like some surf rock interpretations and stuff like that of those songs. I actually got a an autographed copy because I bought it direct from the fat man and asked him kindly to autograph it, which he did just for me. I'm very proud of that little acquisition. Finally, you mentioned the Quake CD. I believe that Quake CD that was mentioned on your show was in fact a shareware CD. Um, I remember acquiring the shareware CD. At the time, I was already playing the shareware version of Quake, maybe the not-so-shareware version as well. I can't quite remember at that time. Um, I went. I heard about and went to the store to purchase a $15 demo disc of Quake. The reason I would actually pay money for the demo copy was two reasons. Number one, it had those Trent Reznor soundtrack, uh, audio, uh, Redbook audio tracks at the end. And it also had those encrypted, unlockable versions, full versions of uh, the rest of its catalog to date. I believe it also had shareware versions of all of those uh, games, but if it did, I, I wouldn't have really known because bundled inside of that paper jewel case containing the CD, I also have a floppy disk shoved in there that's labeled qcrack.exe. So I will let you interpret that as you will. All right. Love the show as always. Uh, love your uh, love your hangouts and uh, all the best to you and to the blockers. Take it easy, folks. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 P.S. Uh, you uh, guys mentioned having the Prodigy and R.E.M., etc. <laughs> inside your CD-ROM drive while you play Quake. I had mostly Dance Pool Volume 3, which was like awful Euro dance and a reggae song as well. So it was always weird hearing this one, like, two-and-a-half-minute reggae song repeated over and over and over while uh, playing the game. All right, that's it for me. Brian out. Beep, beep. Well, thanks so much, Brian. And uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of... uh... (laughs) 
Quake is like a very unique. We said it on the Hangout, but but I'll say it again. You know, Quake for me was a very unique game because of the way that whole music thing kind of just shook out. Because again, I I didn't know. I probably had a pirated version of it uh, originally, and I didn't know that it was initially you know grabbing music off of uh, the the CD ROM, like just random time codes or CD ROM tracks or or whatever it was doing, and so. I have this such a strong, like, I'm very, I'm a big proponent of game music. And for me, like, I know some people say, oh, you know, when I play World of Warcraft, I listen to this kind of music. And when I play this game, I listen to that kind of music. I always, 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 always listen to the game's music, even if it's not that good. And a lot of the games I play have very good music. So, you know, it's fine and and it's memorable and all that. But, um, you know, because of that kind of situation with Quake and because of the way I play games, I totally identify with, you know, Quake for me is R.E.M. I think it was Automatic for the People. Was that an R.E.M. album? I think it was that one that was in there. Anyways, but uh, yeah, just super unique, super interesting kind of the way things just shake out when you're not aware that things are doing what they're doing. So thanks again for that. Thanks for those voicemails. And uh, let's get into it. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Okay, so this time around we're touching a game that I've got a good amount of experience with. 1994's addition to Will Wright's Sim series of games, Sim Tower. So Sim Tower is a single game. Well, actually, no, sorry. It's a series of of two games, actually. uh, Developed by Open Book and published, of course, by Maxis. So let's talk genre. Now, this is what I haven't touched on for quite a long time, if if I'm remembering the episode order correctly. Uh, Sim Tower, much like other Sim whatever, Sim Star, asterisk, games, are, uh, the, they are construction and management simulations. So what does this mean exactly? Well, a construction and management simulation is a game where you, the player, are tasked to build, manage, and or expand a fictional community, organization, project, or other type of you know situation so how do you go about building out this situation or project or whatever well with money well money is you know well money is is one of the ways to go about things some games implement other forms of currency or resources but you know good old-fashioned money is pretty common at the beginning of any construction sim you're given a set amount of starting capital and a fairly blank canvas on which to begin your project As you progress through the game, new challenges, technologies, and game mechanics will unveil themselves, allowing you to bring your creation to the next level at a cost, obviously. Now, this aspect of economics, of cost, of price, of balance, of all of that really does drive the whole genre. Your main goal, regardless of what the game tells you, is really just to keep expanding and to keep your cash flow in the black. Uh, Interface-wise, these games tend to be a little bit more complex than your average platformer or shooter. Uh, There's keyboard and mouse. These are, you know, kind of keyboard and mouse type games where, um, you know, you're generally looking at some sort of map or plan view of your project, which is laid out on some kind of grid. You know, it might be an artsy grid, but it's still basically a grid. Uh, You expand it using a variety of tools accessible via toolboxes, drop-down menus, and other boring business-like UI elements like that. Uh, you generally also have access to some form of reporting system, which gives you information about various aspects of uh, of your baby. Now, using these tools, you strike a balance between expansion and income until you reach some win condition, either imposed by the game itself or imposed by your own imagination. 
All right, story time. So Sim Tower is a Maxis Sim game. Traditionally, these games are pretty light on story, and Sim Tower is no exception to this rule. In fact, I would even venture to say that Sim Tower is the least story-driven Sim game I've yet covered. Uh, in games like Sim City and its various sequels, you at the very least have the concept of some predetermined scenarios that you can play through. And, uh, you know, they have some rudimentary background information and, you know, things like that to kind of set the scene. Sim Tower has none of this. You launch the game, you start a new tower, and you go. Now, whenever we come across a game like this, I tend to say the same thing, and I'm going to say it again. You could look at this lack of story as a... Uh, you know, as a byproduct of the sim genre, which focuses very much on processes, systems, and technical details. Uh, you can see it as perhaps a weakness, uh, perhaps a lack of story and structure that uh, would otherwise pull you more into the game world. But why do we want to be negative? That's silly, don't you think? Much like uh, modern sandbox sims today, the sims of yore allow you to approach the game from any perspective you want. If you want to approach it from a technical perspective, trying to min-max your tower and play the game to the best of your ability and the limits of the game's systems, you can do that. Alternatively, you can take this lack of structure as an opportunity to stretch your own imagination. I mean, the point of this game is to build and manage a tower. How you approach that challenge is entirely up to you. Uh, will you be a kind, benevolent building designer, builder, and operator? Will you keep prices low and happiness high? Or will you be a cheap tyrant charging high rent with absolute minimum of services, demolishing facilities of unhappy tenants if they don't get in line? Well, it's all up to you. Now, I'm not the most creative of sim players, so I tend to try and do my best. But, uh, you know, if games like The Sims tell us anything... It's that people's imaginations can definitely run into odd places and in very odd directions. In the tradition of SimCity, Maxis brings you the next generation in the Sim line. Sim Tower, the vertical empire. Sim Tower lets you build a towering skyscraper with a growing metropolis inside. Start by building your lobby. Add some offices and a restaurant to feed your hungry Sims. Make sure to adjust your rents for maximum occupancy. As more people move in, you increase your revenue, allowing you to build movie theaters, hotels, shops, and underground subways. Of course, all the elevators need to work efficiently, otherwise your sims get red hot when they have to wait. You can even follow individual sims to better understand their needs. Don't forget that sims hate cockroaches, and you always need to be on the alert for fires. I love crappy mid-90s game ads. Hilarious. It's some dude just talking. He's not a professional narrator or anything. It's like if I did it. Anyways, uh, let's get on to gameplay. So Sim Tower is a deceptively... I was going to say a deceptively simple game, but it's I would say it's deceptively simple. It's a very complex game that is deceptively simple. As you might expect from the game's name, and as I just said in the story section... This is a simulation in which you are charged with the design, construction, operation, and maintenance of a tower. Now, the term tower can certainly be a bit misleading. Now, to me, a tower is something like the CN Tower here in Toronto or the Eiffel Tower over in France. You know, more of a gimmicky, tourist-attracting, useless thing with an observation deck on top of it. 
Now, that's not what we're talking about here. In game terms, your tower is effectively a multi-purpose, eventually multi-story building, which will, again, eventually turn into a skyscraper to challenge buildings like the Sears Tower, the Empire State Building, the Burj Khalifa, whatever you want to call them. Your goal is to build up your tower through various star levels, beginning at a single star and progressing up to the esteemed level of tower once you get through five stars. As you begin the game, you're presented, as I said, with a pretty blank canvas, a flat piece of land that uh, you can scroll back and forth in the window. Now, (laughs) I say the word window, and that's something I should mention right off the bat. I don't think I've ever really covered one of these games before, but this is a Windows 3.1 native game. It takes full advantage of the Windows user interface with various windows and menus all floating freely and resizable and rearrangeable to your heart's content. So... You've got your blank canvas, you've got your piece of dirt, and now if you've ever been inside almost any public building, and I would venture to say that the majority of us have, you'll know that the first thing uh, to do is to place a lobby. Now, the lobby serves as the basis for your tower. Nothing can be built if there isn't a lobby somewhere below it or, or above it if you're underground, but that's a detail. What is never made entirely clear is in the manual, I guess it's even, some people even consider it a cheat, but it's really not, is that you can actually be fancy and create a cathedral-like two or three-story lobby, uh, if that happens to meet your fancy. Uh, it doesn't offer anything concrete aside from aesthetics, though, though some people do say that uh, some of your tenants will get less angry. We'll get to that later, if uh, they're made to wait in a nicer, taller lobby. So at our paltry one-star level, We only have access to a few facilities to place in our fledgling tower. Uh, Before we get to them, though, we should talk about time. And since we're looking at a business venture here and not a whole city or country, the calendar in SimTower is a little bit more fiscal than we're used to. Our biggest unit of time in this game is a year. A year is comprised of four quarters, so again, very fiscal. Uh, Each quarter is comprised of a series of days, three days, in fact. Those three days are split into two weekdays, and one weekend. On a weekday, your tower is fully utilized. On weekends, eh, less so, but we'll get into details on this next. Now back to the facilities. Firstly, at one star, we have the office. An office is a rental space that holds up to six people. Offices pay rent quarterly and uh, really will tend to form the backbone of your tower, providing you with a nice income boost at the end of every quarter, allowing you to continue your expansion. Offices cost $40,000 each to build, and uh, they pay out rent ranging from, if I remember correctly, about $5,000 to $15,000 per quarter. Now, with some exceptions, most facilities provide you with a set amount of rent or set amount of rental income on a regular schedule. Office workers like to be on floors alongside other offices and other non-noise-making neighbors. If you place them improperly, office workers' satisfaction level will drop uh, in a full day with them in kind of the lowest level of red satisfaction, and they'll move out. Now, you can counteract some negative placement by lowering the rent. People are a bit more willing to endure being next door to a burger joint for a $5,000 discount on their rent. Now, this brings us to your main source of managing tenant satisfaction post-placement, which is the rent. Tweaking the rent of each unit in your tower will allow you to be um, a bit more creative in facility placement. It's also a little bit frustrating at times because there's no way in a big tower to kind of do a bulk uh, rent adjustment. You have to click on each unit 
and modify the rent one by one. Click, 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 click. Now, I've already mentioned the next facility you have access to in, in some form, the fast food place. Now, fast food places provide a local stop for your office workers and other tower residents to eat. Uh, if they don't have these local options, well, first of all, you're leaving money on the table because, hey, you'd rather have your residents and tenants uh, spending their money in your tower as opposed to somewhere else. Secondly, tenants will leave the tower to get food, and this will cause a lot of unnecessary traffic in and out of your tower at mealtimes. Now, fast food joints are loud and messy. Most other facilities don't love being next to them. However, as I said at the start of the game, they really do help by providing daily income ranging anywhere from negative $5,000 on a bad day to positive $5,000 depending on uh, sales and attendance. Finally, our last item of uh, money making that uh, we have access to at the beginning of the start of the game is the condo. Now, condos are unique in that, uh, well, they're unique because they have upsides and downsides. Uh, they're sold as uh, one-time lump sums. So whatever price you set for them when they're built, that's how much money you get when people move in. Uh, you never see income from them again unless the residents inside them move out. But if they move out, it's probably not a good situation to begin with. Uh, the higher the initial asking price of the condo, the more sensitive the sim residents of said condo will be. Uh, frankly, condos... It's dubious whether or not they're actually worth it, though I do end up placing a few since eh, I like variety. Uh, if you demolish a condo, a good portion of its selling price, it might be half, I believe, gets deducted from your coffers. Uh, I learned that one the hard way and uh, spent quite a bit of time in, uh, in, in the red. <laughs> so now that we have some facilities, uh, say a few fast food joints on the second floor, a few floors of offices, things like that, we need to get people to and from these facilities. So much like SimCity, the core of SimTower's simulation lies in creating an effective transit system within your tower. Whereas in SimCity, this was done with roads, rails, public transit, and things like that, SimTower accomplishes this with stairs, escalators, and elevators of various types. Now, in the creation of your lobby and your first few floors, you may have noticed the most rudimentary transit system on your tower. Uh, on either end of your lobby and spanning up the sides of your tower are emergency stairs. Well, with these, the name says it all. They are for emergencies only. Your tenants will never, ever use them. These stairs are used by your security personnel in case any untoward situations arise, such as fire, bomb threats, and things like that. And trust me, they will occur. Uh, the security office opens up at the two-star level. So let's get on to methods of transit that uh, your tenants can use. So the first one, and the most basic ones, are standard stairs. Stairs are built between two floors. Uh, tenants will use stairs to get to and from their destination, depending on traffic and lack of availability of other modes of transit. However, they won't take more than four sets of stairs on any one trip. So uh, if you have a tenant on the 25th floor, they're not going to take 25 flights of stairs all the way down to the lobby. Next up from stairs, we have the standard elevator. Now the elevator, especially the standard elevator, is your bread and butter and absolutely 100% the core gameplay element of this game. Standard elevators can span up to 30 floors and each elevator shaft can support up to eight elevator cars. By the five-star rating, you can have a total of 24 elevator shafts in your eventually by then massive tower. Now this is really where the game's core strategy comes in. 
clicking on an elevator shaft opens the elevator configuration window. Here we see a series of six buttons, each representing a time of day, starting from the morning and ending at night. On top of that are two buttons denoting weekday or weekend. For each time period of the weekday or weekend, you can instruct your elevators to work a different way. So for each time period, you can set the elevator to the default behavior, which is known as local service. That is, the elevator will stop at any floor where people are waiting, whether the elevator is going up or down. Express to bottom means that your elevator cars in a given shaft will pick people up as your elevator rises through your tower's floors. And once it reaches the top floor, it will then travel directly back to the lobby, not stopping for anyone waiting on lower floors. Now, the opposite of this is expressed to top, where the elevator will travel down, picking up passengers and letting them off as they see fit, and then will return to the top floor without stopping on the way up. Below this are more settings where you can tweak how far away an elevator car can be to respond to a call button. Uh, the default's five floors, which means if someone is waiting for the elevator and an elevator car is within five floors and it's moving, that elevator car will go and answer that elevator call. If it's longer, then, you know, other things happen. Below that floor threshold uh, box, there's another box where you can set uh, the number of seconds of delay that your elevator will, uh, will wait before leaving any given floor. So elevator will stop, people will get on, and then you could set it to say, wait two more seconds to see if anyone else is going to show up, and then it'll take off. Now, here's the thing with this. Unless they have access to an escalator. Sim tenants will wait for an elevator by default. The elevator is generally their preferred method of transport. The longer they wait, the more red they turn. Their degree of redness indicates their stress level. Stress tenants equal lower facility satisfaction, which equals lowering of rents or exodus from your tower. Making sure your elevators are tweaked properly is of paramount importance. A good rule of thumb is, uh, is to set some of your shafts to express to bottom in the morning and evening when office workers and, uh, and the people like that are flooding into your tower's lobby or out of your tower's lobby. Uh, there are other tweaks you can make, such as stopping elevators from servicing certain floors. And as we'll see in the dev story, there is a reason that the elevators in this game have so much importance. Now, aside from standard elevators, you have express elevators. These elevators only stop every 15 floors and will also only stop at what is called a sky lobby. Basically, a sky lobby is exactly what it sounds like. It's a lobby in the sky. These sky lobbies can also be placed every 15 floors, and let me tell you, they should be. Uh, retail outlets, restaurants, and fast food places only succeed if they are close to a lobby, so placing these lobbies is critical. Also, your standard elevators only span up to 30 floors, so if you want to get to the eventual goal of 100 floors, you're going to need some express elevators. Now, tenants love their limitations. So we need to keep in mind that all tenants or visitors or residents or whatever in your building will only change modes of transit one time every trip. So if a tenant needs to take three different elevators to get to where they're going, they won't get there and they'll get upset. An express elevator has no limit on shaft height, so having one or two should allow a tenant to express to the closest sky lobby to their destination and then take either a standard elevator, uh, less than four or less flights of stairs, or seven or less sets of escalators to get to where they're going. 
Now, escalators, which I haven't really talked about yet, show up at three stars. And uh, they can only be used in what are called like public spaces. So commercial areas like shops and food purveyors and things like that. Tenants do prefer escalators over elevators uh, if they're available and they'll get them where they're going since there's no wait time to use escalators. People have to wait for an elevator, escalator, boom, immediate. No matter how many people there are on that escalator, it just flows. So (laughs) I said this game is simple, but... Yeah, I have been going on, haven't I? I mean, you rise in star levels primarily by growing your tower's peak population. As you rise through three and four stars, some other small requirements also come up, like you need to have a security office, you need to have at least one hotel suite, and uh, you know other things like that. I think at four stars, I think at three to four or four to five, uh, a VIP will visit your tower, and uh, they will be very demanding about things and they won't wait very long and blah, blah, blah. And if the VIP reports they had a good time in your tower, then you are kind of, your the box is checked for you to advance to the next star level. Uh, as you progress, obviously more facilities open up like uh, single, double, and suite hotel rooms, housekeeping facilities to keep those hotel rooms clean, service elevators to move your housekeepers around, garbage and recycling centers to process trash, underground parking, a large variety of shops, restaurants, movie theaters, party halls, a metro station, and a whole whack of other things that really let you go nuts kind of customizing. Some facilities can't be demolished once they're placed. I think the security offices, the housekeeping facilities, all kind of like the uh, more business-like infrastructure type stuff, those can't be gotten rid of. And, uh, you know, eventually through some savvy management, you'll be able to reach five stars and top your tower with a $3 million cathedral on the 100th floor. Once you do this, you will receive the coveted tower rating. And while that doesn't actually end the game, it's a pretty tangible goal to strive for. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Okay, so like I said, this is sort of a first, if I'm remembering right, at least from a PC perspective. So to run Sim Tower on an IBM or compatible, uh, you needed at least a 386, 33 megahertz with at least four megs of RAM, 256 color SVGA graphics at 800 by 600, a double speed CD-ROM, a keyboard, a mouse, and at least five megs of hard drive space. Operating system wise, you needed at least DOS 5.0. However, this isn't because the game required it. You needed DOS 5.0 to run Windows 3.x, most likely 3.1 or 3.11, Windows for work groups, uh, because this is a Windows 3.1 game. Now, I don't believe I've actually ever covered a uniquely Windows 3.1 game before. Uh, you know, there's quite a few of them, but it really strikes me that the majority of games that I played kind of dispensed with Windows 3.1 native and stuck to DOS until Windows 95 came along with uh, kind of the early versions of DirectX. Now, since this is a game published by Maxis, it also ran on the Mac. In fact, I feel, I believe, and I'm pretty sure we will talk about it in the dev story, that this game was actually natively designed on a Mac and for Macs. So if you had an Apple machine, this game required Mac OS System 7, or maybe it was just Apple System 7. I don't remember what they called it at the time. And uh, you required a 68K Mac. Memory requirements were higher at 8 megs, but all the rest ended up basically being the same. Now, I only kind of sort of touched on the game's graphics, and I should take this opportunity to explain uh, the graphics a bit more. The graphics in this game are perfectly serviceable. Uh, you know what's what? Everything has a uniform look. However, this game 
is very, very, very 2D. Even the manual explains this and reminds you that you do have to use your imagination a little bit, even in interpreting the graphics. You view your tower in a side cutaway view. That is, you see basically what is a cross section of your tower. So that kind of leads you to believe that your tower, while it might be very tall and very wide, is not very deep. Then you start asking yourself, well, you know, if I have 24 elevator shafts and they have eight elevator cars in them, how do we fit eight elevator cars in a single flat shaft the size of one room? Well, the manual says that you should assume that there is, in fact, stuff behind the front of this cross section you're looking at and even, you know, even more stuff behind you kind of a thing. Uh, The view is kind of more of a sample or an idea of what's in your tower at any given area. So much like the story, here's another chance to use your imagination, which you could take as either a positive or a negative. Now, I know in Tech Focus, I also tend to talk about music. You'll notice I haven't done my standard play the music right after the, the bumper kind of a thing. That's because this game lacks any kind of real form of music. The extent of the soundtrack is this. So, frankly, not a whole lot to discuss there. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Okay, time for Dev Story. Uh, Sim Tower is, once again, a unique UMB game in yet another way. While the game was published by Maxis, it was not developed by them. SimTower is the brainchild of Mr. Yukata Yute Sato, I believe that's how you pronounce it, founder of OpenBook, that's capital O, capital P, small n, capital N, capital B, small o, small o, capital K, (laughs) that's OpenBook, based in Tokyo, Japan. So Yute attended Waseda University in the Shinjuku Ward of Metro Tokyo. Now, I actually had to look that up because I I figured, you know, Tokyo is a city. What the hell is Shinjuku? And it turns out that Tokyo is such a massive city that uh, it's split up into uh, a series of what are called special wards, which are basically like not so much neighborhoods, but more kind of like little mini suburb, not suburbs, but little mini divisions of the city that kind of are pretty local. They all have their own little flags and stuff. It's actually pretty cool. But, uh, you know, my knowledge of Japan is is woefully inaccurate. Uh, I'll leave, like, Martin and Greg and to correct me since they're, they're the Nintendo guys or maybe Bianca and Brian from Square Wave since, you know, they're currently learning Japanese. So you guys probably know a whole whack about Tokyo more than I do. But um, anyways, you'd think that Ute, being a big bad game designer, uh, would be studying computer science. Well, you'd be wrong. Uh, he was in the he was in the faculty of science and engineering, but he was on track to becoming an architect. He did have an interest in video games, though, having played SimCity extensively on his Mac during university between all of his classes and all that. So after graduation, uh, when when he did you know finish his degree in architecture, he got a job for some type of large Japanese human resources company called uh, Recruit. Now it was while working at Recruit. That Ute's natural curiosity led him to take a look at the behavior of one of the most mundane things imaginable, the elevator. You see, Ute always considered himself to be a curious man. Uh, He always wanted to know what was inside the box. And that box could be anything. It could be a mechanical system, an organization, or a service that most people just take for granted. It's just kind of working. You know, growing up, going to school, and working in, uh, in the massive office towers of Tokyo... Ute had a lot of exposure to elevators. 
He realized that in some buildings, the elevators frustrated him to no end, whereas in other buildings, they didn't. Even if the buildings had the same number of floors and the same number of elevator shafts and elevator cars, he realized that elevators were a very strong source of frustration for business people. He also realized that he and other people went through architecture school uh, and came out knowing very little about elevators. He searched through books and journals and you know resources he had from, uh, from his schooling and, and he came up empty. There was li- very little information available about the operation and the scheduling of elevators. He then called a major Japanese elevator company and asked them about how they scheduled their elevators. Apparently, this info was a closely guarded secret. So at this point, he realized he'd probably have to figure this out on his own if he cared to. He got together with his friend and programmer Takumi Abe, bad at Japanese names, and, uh, and started designing a simulation to try to explain how the mysterious and secret world of elevator scheduling worked. As they developed their simulation, they realized that there was much more to this than meets the eye. At this point, even though they may have been thinking somewhere far off in the back of their minds about designing a game, they really were just approaching this as a process to answer their question about how elevators worked. Now, luckily, in the process of answering that question, they ended up with what was the beginnings of actually a fairly compelling game. Now, Sato, not being a programmer, focused obviously on the game design and the art and the mechanics and things like that. Uh, The game began life as a scaled-down black-and-white tower drawn up in Hypercard. He eventually hired two more graphic designers to add color and detail to his first drafts, but and uh, initially the game was done using 16-color graphics. However, as the game neared completion, he realized the max performance had improved to the point where he could up the graphics fidelity to 256 colors. And during the development of the game, uh, which he called The Tower, Ute left Recruit and uh, founded his first game studio, OpenBook. The game released in Japan to much success, earning itself uh, and him quite a few awards. Now, at some point through all this, uh, The Tower caught the eye of Will Wright, who we all know as the founder of uh, Maxis and creator of SimCity. He brought the game to then-president of Maxis, Jeff Braun, who made an international distribution deal with OpenBook. Now, the game was localized for sale in the United States and was renamed Sim Tower to take advantage of the notability of the Sim moniker that uh, Will Wright made famous with SimCity. It released in the U.S. in November of 1994 and sold and reviewed well. The game was followed in 1998 by a sequel named uh, The Tower 2 in Japan and Ute Tower in, uh, in the U.S. after Ute himself. While the basic premise of the game remained the same, different locations were added with uh, scenarios. In Hawaii, you had to build a tower with condos, hotel rooms, and uh, an underground mall. In Tokyo, a more traditional office building with uh, a stadium on the top level. And Kigon Falls required you to build an underground tourist attraction. Uh, A Ute Tower offers much more customizability and selectiveness in uh, what kinds of facilities you build, in addition to allowing for other sources of income like uh, advertising billboards and uh, multiple towers connected by sky bridges, cool things like that. Uh, Ute Tower was really just Sim Tower with more cool stuff and maybe a bit of a quirkier sense of humor, which um, actually uh, Anatoly, Dos Nostalgic over there on Twitter, pointed out to me uh, earlier today and uh, last week that uh, you could really see kind of this quirky sense of humor in some of the the uh, the funny ads that uh, 
that appeared in like, you know, like a computer gaming world and PC gamer and things like that at the time. Now, the cool thing about Ute Tower is that it, since it ran natively on Windows 95, 98, so it's basically a Win32 application, uh, it's actually also pretty easy to get running on modern Windows operating systems. Sadly, though, maybe because it was viewed as a rehash of the original, the game actually sold very poorly, which is unfortunate because it actually does look quite fun. I actually hadn't heard that this game even existed. I was a big Sim Tower fan, and I didn't even know that there was a sequel until I started doing research for this show. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what does the future hold for Sim Tower? Well, not a ton, unfortunately. I mean, the game did spawn a small subgenre of tower management games that have taken off on mobile in the form of games like Tiny Tower and all that stuff. But they're not really in any way related to this game. Heck, I mean, you know, doing this game, covering it on the show, sort of makes me want to try my hand at making a tower sim game myself like this. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are some around, but they just don't really seem like they're very popular. I don't know. I actually remember in my second, was it my second? Yeah, probably my second programming class in uh, in my undergrad in university, uh, Comp 249, one of our first C++ assignments of the semester was actually to create a program that would simulate the function of an elevator and report out its behavior on kind of like a DOS console window. Uh, I, I think this actually might be a little fun activity if I can find some time, which, ha ha ha, that's kind of funny. Uh, it might be a fun little activity. So with that in mind, uh, where can we get SimTower today? Well, <laughs> it seems like the only real legal, even that's of dubious legality, place to get it is uh, is off eBay in CD form or by obviously some nefarious means, which I won't go into detail on. Uh, to get it running, on top of that, you will need to get a Windows 3.1 installation going in DOSBox in addition to installing the game itself. Uh, it's not massively hard. I think I did it in like 10 minutes. But, uh, you know, it's an extra step. Okay, so before we get to the verdict, we've got a few emails reminiscing about Sim Tower. First one is from Alima. She writes, Hello, Joe and fellow blockers. Definitely looking forward to this episode on Sim Tower, as it was without a doubt one of my favorite Sim games back in the day. This was a game our father had bought for us after some uh, fervent pleading one day at Computer USA, solely on the basis that this was a sim game and that the box illustration looked cool. My sister didn't much care for it ultimately, and it really became my game. I played it a lot. I knew all the nooks and crannies of the game, had the strategy down to an art. I'd stick offices I'd rent out, no condos because those had a fixed price and would always end up unhappy. I'd add a couple of hotel rooms when needed, but my tower was mostly a tall, tall office building with the cheapest rent and a metro station and a cathedral on top. Yep, I did indeed manage to nab a tower rating eventually, and quite a few times, but it was often a long and grueling process. I typically leave the game running for hours once my balance was positive, just so I could have some funds. And those elevator sound effects drove me mad after a while. Anyhow, thanks. enough rambling from me. Thanks so much for covering this one. I love this game. Block on Elima slash Emily. Well, thanks, Emily. And wow, yeah, you know, it's, I was kind of the same same way. I don't even, I think I just bought this game because it was a sim game and it really did kind of turn into something interesting, something I spent a lot of time in. I think I mentioned it at the, either the last show or the show before that, well, I liked this game. This was a game that my brother who really didn't game all that much really, really got into. I think it really 
touched his nerve of, you know, building things and managing them. And, you know, that's kind of what he does as a job now to a certain extent. So, you know, it really did play into his, uh, his interests and his strengths. And, uh, you know, he talks about it to this day. I, I actually have been meaning to kind of set up a, uh, kind of a packaged DOSBox Win 3.1 SIM tower install that he could just throw somewhere, click one icon and have it fire up. I'm going to do that when I get a bit of time. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a unique game. I didn't find the sounds particularly annoying. I find that a little bit soothing. But anyways, next, <laughs> we've got an email from Ryan and Ryan writes, Hey Joe, back in the day, whenever a new Max's game came out, I always wanted it. Favorites are the classics SimCity and SimCity 2000, of course, but I also loved and spent hours playing SimCopter. It blew my mind that I could fly a helicopter around a real 3D city that I built myself. I always wanted to follow up Streets of SimCity, but never got around to buying it. Other Sim games I really liked was SimAnt, Sim of course, the lawnmowers, SimFarm, SimEarth. They were really fun, and I poured hours and hours into them. When I got SimTower, though, it clicked with me. I instantly loved it just as much or more than SimCity. I'm not sure why. It isn't as complex as SimCity. It's not as replayable. But I think it was because it was more personal. You could see individual people, see what they want to do, where they want to go. When they got mad at me, if the elevators take too long, I felt bad. I felt that, uh, I felt that personal connection to those little black silhouettes. It seems silly to say that now, since now we've got The Sims and other games where you can connect with your Sims in a much more personal way than SimTower allowed. And then there was cheating. Need more money? Just set up your tower so each day your cash flow was net positive. Then you can just walk away for a day or overnight, come back, and have millions of dollars. Of course, sometimes that will backfire and you'll come back to a tower that everybody moved out of and you're broke. Uh, I never did figure out why that happened sometimes. I would always get bored towards the end game. The final goal was to build a cathedral on the 100th, 100th floor, usually around floor 30 or 40 is as far as I would build up, and then just build express elevators to go up past 50 some completely empty floors. Uh, the game is fun at the beginning, but it feels like a slog after a while. I'm interested if you played any of the follow-on games in the series, Ute Tower, or the follow-on game in the series, Ute Tower. I just googled it and see it's available on iPad, so uh, I guess I know what I'm going to be checking out when I get home from work tonight. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Ryan, and uh, you know, I haven't played Ute Tower, and uh, I actually didn't know it was available on iPad, so I'm going to poke around in there. I think I checked on my phone, and it's probably not available for the phone, because my iPad 2 is woefully old, so I don't bother doing anything on it, except putting my show notes so I can look at them while I'm, uh, while I'm uh, recording the show here. And uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I will look into that. And yeah, it seems like it's kind of a... Um I'm going to talk about it in the verdict, but I think it's kind of a thing to just leave this game up and running. I know I used to do it a little bit, and my brother did it more with SimCity, and uh, I think he probably also did it with SimTower as well, though I never really did. Finally, we've got an email from my buddy Ben from Australia, and he writes, Hi, Joe, and hello, blockers. It's been a while since I wrote in. Like most kids growing up, I spend a fair bit of time playing games with the word Sim at the start of their name. SimCity 2000, Sim Safari, Sim Farm, SimCopter. Heck, I even played a lot of Streets of SimCity with my brother, which was my first experience of a game with its own radio stations. Well, I'll have to cover Streets of SimCity one of these days. Although Sim Tower feels quite different to these, it was very interesting to me because of what it brought to the table. A lot of the time... The time management games I played as a kid involved managing entire cities or huge transportation networks, and it was really cool to see the focus zoomed in from that broad scope to a much smaller scale where the player has control over a much more detailed and specific area. 
Those end up being the most interesting games to me. The theme hospitals and constructors that lie between The Sims and SimCity, where you have to consider the needs of a smaller number of people in a more intimate fashion without having much to do with the individuals themselves. It feels a little more akin to being an actual manager to me, and therefore a less abstracted form of control. It's also very satisfying to see the individual people directly interacting with your systems, and I think that's why I love this level of management so much. You get to watch the little people using all the stuff you just built without relying so much on numbers and graphs to see success or failure. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts about this unique little game. As usual, keep on blocking, Ben. Thanks, Ben, and yeah, I totally agree with you. That is... uh a much more intelligent analysis of the game than I will probably provide, but uh, you're you're very, very right. So thanks to you, and thanks to everyone who emailed, both at the beginning and at the end, some good, really good thoughts, really good strategies, really good memories all about Sim Tower. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So, does Sim Tower hold up today? Well, here's my perspective on it. This is not a fast-paced game. I haven't really... Some of the other folks kind of brought it up, but uh, I haven't really brought up the biggest issue with this game, and that is the clock. This isn't SimCity with its various speeds. The clock moves forward at a single pace. It accelerates overnight when no activity is happening in your tower, but aside from that, time is constant marching, plodding forward. So if you're dumb like me and you sell off a condo, dumping your bank balance, negative $50,000, you've got a good chunk of time to wait until you get back to a point where you can start building stuff again. I actually recorded video of myself playing Sim Tower, and I haven't put it up yet because I'm going to have to go through a lot of editing and acceleration and stuff because otherwise, to watch, it is a very boring game. Now, does all that mean that this game is bad? No freaking way. Much like Euro Truck Simulator 2 is for me today, this is a zen game. I just chug along, slowly building up my tower. Occasionally, some excitement will occur where I need to quickly readjust my elevator scheduling or put out a fire or whatever. But this really is sort of an idle game. You place facilities and infrastructure, kind of like Ben just said. You place your facilities, you place your infrastructure, and then you just sit back and watch people move in and react to the changes. Your approach is your own. I even find the rudimentary sound effects of the elevators dinging to be oddly soothing, unlike Emily, sorry. I love this game. It's it's a very pure, non-gimmicky, small-scale management simulation that makes no bones about what it is. Sure, it takes time, but personally, I think that adds to it. It gives you time to sit back and really dig into your tower. You know, I forgot to mention that you can tag individuals with names and follow their activities throughout the day. They turn from black to blue, so you can see when they're on the elevator and stuff. This is a very cool game that is so simple on the surface, but so very deep and engaging as you kind of delve into it. If you're a fan of Sim games at all, you really do owe it to yourself to give Sim Tower a try. Yo, Blockers! This is Amiyu Rakugo, and you're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. Keep being awesome, and remember, sit tight, follow our lead, and stay clear of the walls. So that's that. Thanks again to everyone for being patient. You know, I had life stuff happen, and then a vacation, so the show did get delayed. I, I know I kind of said, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll record while I'm out, while I'm out in BC skiing. 
Yeah, by the time I got back from uh, from the ski hill, I was either super tired or drunk. So uh, yeah, that didn't happen. But I am super happy that I was able to get it out now, and uh, you know, hope you guys like it. Next time, another list of shame game that I'm like 99% sure I've never touched. So we're gonna stay in 1994, but we're gonna jump over to Bullfrog with a 3D shooter called, of course, Magic Carpet. So as always, you can send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. I hope to get some stuff about Magic Carpet. I know it was a popular one. Thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find his stuff over at moyermultimedia.com. And don't forget, I said it a little bit at the beginning, but I'm going to say it again. If you enjoy the show, you can support it over at patreon.com slash umbcast. If you find some value from the show, please consider joining my 43 beloved patrons in donating a buck or two per episode. Uh, we're hitting the fourth anniversary in a month or so. Uh, and that means that domain names and web hosting and all that stuff come due. So this is kind of like the expensive time of the year for that stuff. So every little bit helps to keep me bringing the podcast to you. There's a lot more games to talk about. Even if you just want to give, you know, in kind of like a, a blip, you can, uh, join up for one month and then cancel. I, I trust me. I do not mind. You can do whatever you want. Uh, you're, you're free to start and stop whenever it, uh, it only makes me a little bit sad when someone cancels out, but, uh, you know, that is your, your prerogative. Of course. So you can check out the show notes for this episode and all the other episodes at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group, please, at facebook.com slash group slash umbcast. We have so much fun over there posting news articles, talking about stuff, and, uh, you know, just having a, a good old time. You can follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow. And you can follow me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. You can find the show on YouTube at youtube.com slash umbcast where I put up videos of my game research. I may still do an acceleration on the uh, Sim Tower stuff and throw that up just so you guys can see me uh, screw around and lose 50 grand in one shot. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Leave me five-star reviews there or whatever you think. But hey, five stars. I like them. Uh, so that is that. And we will see you next time for Magic Carpet here in the Upper Memory Block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.